Our text this morning will focus on the parable of the ten virgins as we find it in the first 13 verses of chapter 25 of Matthew. This is the passage and that proceeds directly after our reading from this morning. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them are wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I wonder if any of you are familiar with the name Harold Camping. Harold Camping. Harold Camping was a man, an American, a Christian, a popular radio host of a show called Family Radio. But what Harold Camping was specifically and probably best known for are his predictions of the end of the world, his predictions of the return of Jesus Christ. Harold Camping first predicted that this would happen on September 6, 1994. He later predicted that it would happen on May 21st, 2011. And then finally, he predicted that it would happen on October 21st, 2011. And I think the fact that we are all gathered here this morning is living proof of the fact that Harold Camping was wrong. Despite his best efforts and his desires and his work and his calculations, Harold Camping had to face the truth that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 24, and that is that no one knows the day or the hour. Now, I think sometimes it can be a temptation for us to kind of scoff at someone like Harold Camping and to laugh at his predictions. But I think we should be cautious in doing so. Because the one thing that we can say for Harold Camping is that at least he was looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. At least he wanted the king to come back. He was living with an eye on eternity. What about you? Is that something that you can say for yourself? Is it your desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ come back? Is it your desire to see the king return? Or has it been too long? 
After 2,000 years, has your attention begun to waver? Have you started to focus a lot more on living in the present than you have on looking to the future? Well, if that is the case for you, then this passage is a very stern warning. It is a warning that tells us that Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, is coming and we had better be ready. And that's how I'd like to summarize God's word this morning. Be ready, for the bridegroom is coming. And I'd like to look at three aspects of this text. First, I'd like to look just generally at the nature of this wedding feast. Secondly, I'd like to look at the preparations that have to be made for this wedding feast. And then we'll close by looking at the actual entrance to the wedding feast. Now, the text begins by introducing us to the parable. And building upon the last portion of Matthew 24 the section that we read together today, Jesus begins by stating that then, at that time, in which he means the return of the Son of Man, at that time, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, the details of verse 1 also combined with an explicit reference in verse 10. It makes it clear that this whole event is happening to the background of a wedding feast. And it's not the first time that Jesus has told a parable about a wedding feast. Maybe you remember that already back in Matthew 22, a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus introduced another parable. And he said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And then that parable goes on to explain, though, the king invites these guests. The guests all come up with, various lame excuses about why they can't attend this wedding feast. But Jesus is using these parables to clearly illustrate that the triumphal return of the Son of Man, it will be celebrated with a feast. It will be a great feast. It will be the wedding feast of the Lamb, something that you see described in Revelations 19. And like Jesus does with all parables... He uses illustrations that people would connect with, things they would relate to. When Jesus is talking about a wedding feast and a bride and a groom, he is using imagery and he's using language that people would understand. But he's also using the language of Scripture. For on many occasions, the Old Testament refers to the relationship between God and his people as the relationship between a husband and a wife, as the relationship between a bride and a groom. And it's clear from the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus Christ saw his relationship with his people in exactly the same way. You could think of Matthew 9, verse 15, a passage which talks about this controversy that arises over fasting. And Jesus responds to that controversy and he says... Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then, says Jesus, then they will mourn. And so like the passage from Matthew 9, Jesus is using this parable in Matthew 25 to clearly illustrate that he himself 
is the bridegroom. And yet to really understand the content of this parable, we need to be careful that we don't think of this parable in terms of our modern context, that we don't think of this wedding feast in terms of our modern context. For a traditional Jewish wedding ceremony was much different than what we think of today. A traditional Jewish wedding ceremony, for example, was often arranged well in advance by the parents of the bride and the groom. If you want to imagine what it would be like today, it would be like my wife and I going out and looking for a partner already today for our eight-year-old son or our six-year-old daughter. We would go out and we would maybe scour the congregations looking for a a suitable family, looking for someone that, that we thought would be a good match. And then we would get together with the parents of that family and we would create a legally binding contract. But the actual wedding day, that would often not happen until years later. And that day would typically begin with the groom and, and maybe some of his friends traveling across town to the, to the home of the bride or perhaps the bride's father. And once they got there, a number of ceremonies would ensue and that would finally formally confirm that marriage contract. But the great event that finished it all off was a final processional And this was a long line, a great processional that would lead from that bride's house back through town to the groom's house where a great celebration, a great party would be held because they wanted to celebrate the beginning of the bride and groom's life together. And that processional would typically take place at night. And so when you're thinking of this parable, it's that background and specifically the context of this processional that you have to keep in mind. But we should also note that Jesus, in this parable, he draws our attention to a very specific group of guests. Ten virgins. And the use of the word virgins here is meant to imply that this was probably a group of young women. Maybe women that had a role somewhat comparable to our our role of bridesmaids today. They are a group that has obviously received an invitation to attend this wedding. But unlike the guests in Matthew 22 from the other parable, they don't come up with excuses. They don't come up with these reasons that they can't go because they want to be at the wedding feast. They want to attend. And the description of this wedding feast and also the description of this guest, these guests It's important because Jesus is using it to make very clear who he's targeting with this message. You see, Jesus in this parable, he is not, he's not addressing those who have outright rejected the invitation. No, Jesus here in this parable is addressing those who have received the invitation. He's addressing those who he's been speaking to throughout his ministry, those who have heard his message and those who appear to believe it. And if we want to draw this parable forward and put it in today's context, there's no doubt that Jesus is using this parable to send a direct message to the church. He is sending a warning to those 
who have heard the good news of the gospel, those who know of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and those who appear to receive it. And his warning is that appearances are not enough. For while it's clear that all of these guests have received an invitation to the wedding feast, the parable goes on to explain that not all of them are truly prepared to go to the wedding feast. And that's what I'd like to look at with that second point, these preparations for the wedding feast. Because in verse 2, Jesus really begins to get into the core of the parable's message. He explains that there is a major difference between these ten virgins. Five of them, he says, are wise, but five are foolish. And their wisdom, or their lack thereof, is illustrated in this parable by the fact that only five of these women are, are really prepared for the arrival of this processional. Now again, you need to remember that this processional would typically arrive at night. And so all of the guests would require a lamp so that they can find their way along in the dark. And such a lamp, it's maybe better thought of as a torch. It would probably be like a large stick with some oil-soaked rags wrapped around the end. And it could be lit on fire to provide light. And while the text makes sure to explain that all of these virgins, all of them have taken along such a lamp. Not all of them had prepared ahead and made sure to take along extra oil. Now ordinarily, ordinarily, there should not have been a problem for any of these virgins. But in the case of this parable, we're told that the bridegroom and the processional are delayed In fact, they're delayed so long that eventually all the guests, they grow tired and they fall asleep. But at last, at last the bridegroom does come. We're told that in the middle of the night, a cry rings out. The bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. And it is finally at this point that the foolish virgins recognize that they have a problem. Because as they all get up to adjust and trim their lamps, as they all get up, the foolish virgins realize that their lamps are going out. And so they look to the wise virgins and they say, hey, can we we have some of your oil? Can you share with us? But the wise virgins, they have to say no. And it's not because they're rude or because they're cold-hearted. But it's because of the fact that they recognize that if they share their oil, none of them would have enough. None of their lamps would remain lit long enough. None of them would ultimately make it to that wedding feast. And so what we see is that the arrival of the bridegroom, it highlights the core, the very core of the parable's message. Because it's clear that these foolish virgins, they thought they knew the day and the hour that the bridegroom would arrive. But they were not prepared for his delay. They had not prepared to plan ahead. They were so confident that they knew when the bridegroom was coming, 
that they hadn't even thought about taking any extra oil along with them. They were like the foolish builder in Matthew 7. The one who built his house upon the sand. Not giving any thought to what the future might hold. And yet the wise virgins, they were like the wise builder. They wanted to be at this wedding feast so badly that they were prepared for whatever might come. They were prepared for anything. They were prepared even if the bridegroom was delayed because they knew and because they trusted that he was coming. And in this portion of the parable, Jesus teaches a couple of critical lessons. In the first place, he is issuing a clear call to all believers that they need to be prepared. And perhaps we're asking this morning, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be prepared? Well, Jesus Christ is demanding that we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven already today. Jesus Christ is calling us to a close personal, committed relationship to Him, the King. A life that is driven by the grace and the mercy offered in Jesus Christ. A life in which our deepest desire is to one day join Him at the wedding feast. As Christians, we need to live every day looking forward to the Lord's return and we need to strive to be prepared We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in us. We need to be busy. Busy with prayer. Busy in the Word. Spending time with the Gospel. Busy in devotions. Busy living in step with the Spirit. Busy living lives that display the fruits of the Spirit. You cannot... You cannot have an attitude of indifference or neglect towards the coming of the Lord. Because the truth is, as Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, the truth is that one day, perhaps when we least expect it, we will have to give an account before the judgment seat of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And he's going to ask us, Were you prepared? He's not going to ask you, were you in the company of those who were prepared? He's not going to ask you, did you surround yourself with those who were prepared? He's going to ask you, were you personally, individually, were you prepared? Jesus Christ makes clear in this parable that the preparedness of the wise virgins is of zero value to those who are unprepared. Each person individually must be prepared for the arrival of the Lord, and we need to take that to heart today. Because it will not be enough. It will not be enough to stand there and say, that you grew up in a Christian home. It won't be enough to say that you had godly parents. It won't be enough. 
It won't be enough to say that you regularly attended church. It won't be enough to say that you attended the Canadian Reformed Church. It won't be enough even to just stand there and and to point at your baptism. Those things in and of themselves, they will not be enough when the Lord Jesus Christ asks you, were you prepared? Did you believe in me? Did you trust me? Did you trust that I was coming? And ultimately when he asked, did you believe that I was the only way that you could gain access to that wedding feast? That's what I'd like to focus on in closing, this entrance to the wedding feast. Jesus closes with a last critical lesson. It's a lesson that you see elsewhere in Scripture. It's a lesson you see in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This parable closes by reiterating the great truth of Christianity, that salvation, life eternal, access to the wedding feast, if you will, It can be found in no one else but Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the Son of God. That is the truth. And it is a truth that divides. And you see that divisiveness time and again in Matthew 24. Jesus explains again and again that some will be taken, some will be left. Some will believe, some will not. Some will be saved, and some will be left in the darkness. And as this parable closes, that great truth of Christianity is explained once more. For we're told that while the five foolish virgins, while they're gone to purchase more oil, we're told that the bridegroom comes, and he clearly carries on without them. He does not wait. He does not overlook their lack of preparation because of the fact that he was delayed. No, he expected them to be ready whether he was delayed or not. And so it is that only these five wise virgins, only those who were prepared, so it is that only they enter the wedding feast. And then we hear these ominous words And the door was shut. There is a finality about these words. In many ways, it draws our mind back to the story of Noah and the ark in Genesis 7. There we have Noah and his family, those who believed the word of God, those who heeded his warning, those who built the ark, and those who finally entered the ark. And then we're told that the Lord came and he shut the door. And later, when the rains fell and as the waters began to rise, well, then those who mocked Noah, then those who failed to believe the word of the Lord, then they realized that they should have believed, that they should have prepared. But it was too late. There was no second chance for those who failed to believe. 
And sadly, that is the case in this parable as well. For we're told that that later, the five foolish virgins, they finally do get to the wedding feast. And they arrive and they bang on the door and they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But the bridegroom comes and he looks at them and he says, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Can you imagine their shock? Can you imagine their shock? They thought they were going to the wedding feast. They thought they were going to celebrate. They thought everything was in line. And yet the truth is, they had taken it for granted. And so it is that these foolish virgins, those who failed to be prepared, so it is that they are left outside. They are left in the darkness. And as we wrap up this morning, I'd like to draw your attention, at least in closing, to the fact that it's not the preparedness alone. It's not the preparedness alone that gave these five wise virgins access to the wedding feast. Yes, they had to receive an invitation. That's true. Yes, it was required that they be prepared. That's true as well. But ultimately, to enter this wedding feast, they had to arrive with the bridegroom. He, the bridegroom, he provided the only way in to wedding feast. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no entrance. Apart from the bridegroom, one is left in the darkness. And is that not the truth of the gospel? Apart from Jesus Christ, there is nothing. You can prepare all you want. You can work at your tasks all you want. You can go through the motions all you want. But if you do not unite yourself to Jesus Christ by faith, if you don't embrace him as your righteousness, then you will not enter the wedding feast. And so I pray this morning, I pray that we would heed the words of this passage. That we would think about what it means to keep watch and to be prepared. For as God's covenant community, we have received an invitation to the wedding feast. Many of us at our baptism, we have received the promises of the Lord, promises that he would be with us and he would guide us and he would lead us by his spirit. But with those promises also comes a call and an obligation to be ready. And we cannot take that call lightly. We cannot treat that call as if that's something we're going to get serious about later. And I fear greatly that there is a culture of that mentality that grows. We treat our faith as if it's something we're going to get serious about it once we graduate high school. We're going to get serious about our faith once we've lived out our university days. We sometimes talk about our faith as if we're going to get real serious about it once we get married, once we grow up. We're going to save that for another day. But the truth is that we don't know 
the day, or the hour. Maybe Jesus Christ is going to come back when you're at work. And he's going to ask you, are you ready? Maybe he's going to come when you're out on the sports field or out on the ice or perhaps even at one of these annual hockey tournaments. And he's going to ask you, are you ready? Maybe he's going to come back on a weekend when you're out at one of these parties, when you're out at one of these places that as God's children, you know you should not be. And still he's going to ask you, are you ready? What is your answer going to be? What do you plan to say? Are you going to say, Lord, Lord, you see, I work in the construction industry. And that's just kind of the way that we talk. That's kind of how things go. Do you plan to answer him and say, well, Lord, I'm not the only one doing it. I mean, look around me. I mean, all my friends are are doing that as well. Are you going to have to look at him and say, Lord, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. I hadn't expected you. You weren't supposed to be here yet. May it be that we heed the warning of Jesus Christ. Because the bridegroom is coming. And he has a celebration. He has a feast. He has a celebration of eternal proportions. And he wants us to be there. He wants us to celebrate and to live in the joy of Jesus Christ for eternity. And not because of who we are, not because of the fact that that we, in and of ourselves, are so deserving of that invitation. But we get to be there because of the work of the bridegroom. We get to be there because he stands at the entrance to the wedding feast, and he holds the door open, and he allows us to come in. That is the wonder and the beauty, and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. A truth that tells us that Jesus Christ is coming. And the question we face this morning is, are we ready? Amen.